former pastor, and he always said, never have more than one cup of coffee before you preach. And this morning I had two. And that's, that's one too many. Um, <laughs> good morning. Uh, my name is Larry Walker. If you're new here, I'd love to meet you. If this is your first time coming to a church, welcome. It's, a, it's like a, it's a brave move to go to a church for the first time. So welcome. I'd love to meet you. And we all had a first time coming to a church. We are in a series uh, working our way through the Lord's Prayer. Um, there, I would argue there's no greater explanation of what prayer is in all of Scripture. It's one of those moments where you get to ask Jesus, what should we do about this? You know, like, how many times should we read our Bible, sort of thing? And this is his answer. And so there's a lot in it. Um, but I would also argue that prayer is often um, confusing and complicate it sometimes in ways that it shouldn't be. I have two quick stories for ways I think that prayer is muddied um, in ways it doesn't need to be. One is about prayer in general, and one is about the Lord's Prayer in particular. The first story about prayer in general is when I was a very new Christian, uh, I was a homeless teenager, and I was part of a church that would do this, this Thanksgiving service, and the church would all the church like would get together. They would literally have like many, many turkeys, and everyone would bring sides, and they would invite tons of people from the community. And so you'd have all kinds of people there. And I, like I said, I was this homeless kid, and I hadn't had home cooked food in a while. It was one of the things that kind of got me going. Like I think I'm going to go to this church, you know. Um, so I got my plate of food, and I went and sat down. I was so excited to eat because it's Thanksgiving, and uh, I had. Literally, this is, I'm not making any detail of this up. I had a turkey leg in my hand, and I had just taken like this gigantic bite. And right then, the pastor got up front on the mic, and he goes, Brother Larry, will you return thanks? And I was like, literally like, uh, I have no idea what that means, you know? And it was super awkward and quiet. And, uh, and the, this old man named Bill McConnell next to me goes, I got it. And he goes, everybody bow your head. And he goes, Lord, thank you for this food. And I was like, why didn't you just say that? Like, why didn't you just say thank God for the food? Why this return thanks? Does anybody know what that means in this room? So I would say sometimes we make things religious. I think we think prayer is this complicated thing. You've got to have the right words. And you don't. Like, it's a, it's a conversation. It's communication with our Father. The second story about the Lord's Prayer in particular is uh, this past summer I was sitting on the porch with a friend in Tennessee, and our kids were swimming in a pool, and um, we were like sitting, just having a conversation, and the cicadas were all around us, and if you don't know what a cicada is, it's like this green bug, and they leave shells on trees, and the males have this thing called a timble, and it makes this like rasping sound, it's like, you know, and it was, at times, if you get in the right time of the year, it can almost be like deafening, right? And I said to my friend, um, you know, I've, I've been living in the city so long, I just like, I forgot about that sound. And he goes, what sound? <laughs> and uh, I was like, the tens of thousands of bugs trying to mate around us, dude. Uh, it's like deafening, <laughs> you know? And uh, there's something to hearing something over and over that just can kind of like blur it out. It's like if you live next door to the train tracks, and you're like, I don't even hear it anymore. You know, I think the Lord's Prayer can be like that. It was totally like that for me. So when Stephen asked me, what do you think about a sermon through the Lord's Prayer, sermon series? I was like, sure, 
yeah, prayer is always good, you know? And uh, <laughs> we should totally begin the year uh, in like buying a building and pastoral search with prayer. This is a great way to kick off the year. Uh, that led to me coming into staff meeting a few weeks ago and being like, hey, I'm mad at you. And he was like, why? What did I do? And I was like, you picked this sermon series, man. And it's way more complicated. And uh, you end up like digging into things in your own heart. And so Stephen began the sermon series by saying uh, something very true. Your, pl- your prayer life reflects your relationship with your father. It reflects your relationship in many ways with your earthly father, but also your heavenly father. And because some of us, it's a scary thing to think about, um, because some of us, like myself, have very complicated relationships with our earthly fathers, right? And now that's sort of like rubbed off on how I interact with God. And some of us, including me, our fathers ourselves, and we're like, am I doing that to my kids? Totally. You're totally doing it. Um, thank God that we have a heavenly father. Earthly fathers don't have to be and can't be perfect. I have two parenting quotes in my head, and one is, you screw your kids up your way, and I'll screw my kids up my way. And the other one is, I've become comfortable with the reality that someday my name will be uttered from a therapist's couch. <laughs> it's just how it is. So my portion to talk about today in the series is, give us this day our daily bread. Um, I want to tell you a few things I've learned. I literally, when I started digging into this, I had like, like two kind of nearly sleepless nights in a row because I realized all these things going on in me related to this. So I want to break it down into three points. It's not a lot. It's a very short sentence. So give us and daily and bread. So first off, give simply. Um, it's good and normal and healthy to ask your Heavenly Father for things. All throughout the Bible, you read things like, you have not because you ask not. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks for him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? All over the Bible is like, ask. But note, the asking in this model prayer comes in an order. It comes after acknowledging. It comes after acknowledging that he is your Father and that you want his will in your life. So dad's in the room. Do your kids ask you for things? My kids never do. That was a huge joke. It's constant. Uh, what do you say no to? What are your reasons for saying no? Uh, sometimes they just want things that are bad for them in general, like more sugar. And you're like, one more, and you definitely have diabetes. Uh, or more tech time. And you're like, but your eyes are literally burned out of their sockets. Um, or they want to do something dangerous. The summer we were traveling to, uh, we went out west and for a sabbatical, and we were at Arches National Park. And my son, John, behind my back, he loves rock climbing, climbed up a wall that you're not supposed to climb. It was like this sheer rock wall. And I, I, he had, he'd been like, can I do that? And I was like, no, of course not. That's not wise. And I turned around, and there he was up there. And I was like, you got to get down. You know? And I'm like trying to figure out if I can, can I even catch him anymore? You know? Sometimes kids want to do dangerous things, and you just got to say no. Those are kind of the easy ones, I think. Sometimes the answer is not yet, and those are much harder. 
Uh, it's a, you could say that's like, this is a fine thing of you to ask or desire right now. It's just not the right time, right? You want the good thing at the wrong time. And there are things that I want you to learn between like the desire right now and the thing that you feel that you need and the time that you actually receive it. The in-between area of delayed gratification is extremely important in growth, even if the thing is a really good thing. So I want to tell you a personal story of God saying yes, but making me wait two years. When I was 18 years old, uh, I, had, I began to develop like a tumor. It was uh, under here. There's like a giant scar under here. Um, and I was just shaving one day, and I had like this eraser-sized bump. And by the time I was 20, so this was like right around the time I, I had no health care. I had I like barely had a roof over my head. Um, and by the time I was 20, it was like the size of a golf ball. And it's why I began growing this big, don't touch that, this big goatee over it. And it covered it up. So I, I was getting nervous and afraid. Nobody likes a golf ball attached to their face. Um, it's, and uh, it led to this time of like really rich prayer in my life. Because I had nothing. It was the same summer of when I was 20 that I met my wife. We were at this thing called the Summer Beach Project. And we were with a ministry called Campus Outreach. We were all in, in Florida. And I began to get really sick often. And I went to the doctor. And they were like, that's got to go. You know? And we need to like, test that thing. And I was like, so how much is this going to cost? And they're like, a lot. You know? And I was like, I don't have a lot. You know? So I, just, uh, I was feeling very uncomfortable. I had just come out of homelessness. And... But I also kind of knew that I was a child at that time before God. And that I, the way I always think of it is like the facade of self-determination over my circumstances had been like fully stripped away from me. Um, and my prayer life was very rich because of it. I knew that anything I needed, I better ask, you know. And I knew that all I really had was prayer. So I prayed a lot. And toward the end of the summer, a woman uh, who was part of the college group came up to me. I was sitting in the courtyard and uh, she came up to me and she had a, a plastic trash bag, you know, like this is bag. And she just handed it to me. And I was like, what's this? And she goes, it's yours. And I was like, yeah, but what is it? She just goes, it's yours and walked away. And I was like, okay. And I opened it up and it was just filled with cash. And I was like, where did this come from? <laughs> you know, like I've seen lots of money like this before. It usually was drugs, man. Um, <laughs> And so I was like, where did, you know, where did they get this? And I found out that all the college students around me, I hadn't gone, like, asking. You know, but I think they were like, I think he's got a golf ball in his face. <laughs> um, and they had just been gathering money for me. And I didn't know this. And she gave it to me. I also found out that um, one person in particular was very generous and gave, like, a giant chunk of money. Uh, most of the money they had made that summer. And I didn't know who it was. I'd always just been like, I wonder who that was. It kind of like pushed it over the edge. It, I was able to afford the surgery. Um, I had to have like, you know, medications, all the things. I found out I was not dying, you know. Um, and then I had to like have like a plastic surgery thing done on the chin. And I found out on our honeymoon that the person who gave all that money was my wife. Uh, not at the time, you know, she was just this lady. And um, I was like, wait a minute. Were you like making an investment, you know? <laughs> So what I'm saying is Mandy paid for this face, and I hope she kept her receipt. Um, seriously, though, God provided through prayers and prayers and prayers, and brothers and sisters in Christ came along the way, but two years later, 
The answer was not immediate, and God wanted to grow me in my dependence on him from the first moment I was shaving and felt the bump to two years later when I had the surgery. There was a tremendous amount of fear, actually. Uh, a lot of thinking about death and feelings of helplessness and aloneness and wondering if God, like, heard me and really cared. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that, but probably, and if you aren't, if you haven't been and aren't right now, you certainly will be, because that happens in life. The in-between of needing and wanting and receiving. Uh, you may be there now. I would encourage you to pray like he's your father, knowing he loves you. And his answer, whether yes, no, or wait, comes from the love of a father who is good and holds all things in his hands, including your provision in your life. Daily. Just an interesting word. Point two, daily. Not monthly, not weekly, daily. You're intended to talk to your father about what you need and what you desire daily. You're intended to have an ongoing healthy relationship with your father. You're intended to sometimes just come and sit with your father and have your heart wide open for him to see all that is within it daily. Jesus is showing us in this prayer a picture of a healthy relationship with God. And we once had that relationship. I'm always struck by in Genesis 3, when it says God was walking in the garden, and he cried, you know, he's like, hey, where are you guys at? The fact that we used to go for walks with our Heavenly Father. It's a fascinating thing. With our dad. And then our hearts and desires betrayed us. And we left him. And we let our desire for the things we wanted overtake our desire for a strong relationship with our Heavenly Father. Here's how I think about our hearts and desires sometimes. This is not going to be deep. Uh, remember in Pirates of the Caribbean? Caribbean, Caribbean? Jack Sparrow has a compass. Do you remember? He has a compass, and it points to whatever he wants, right? Um, and that, like, all right, I want this treasure. It's that way. And do you remember one of the movies? The compass just spins, you know? No? All right, got it, guys. Um, I can't even say you should go watch them. Uh, I can't say that. They're based off of a ride. Um, but he has a compass that just spins, all right? Because he kind of doesn't know what he wants or where he really wants to go. Um, sometimes I think we think our hearts are like a really good compass. Um, and it's pointing to true north. It's pointing to where we need to go. And it's not. It's really not. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Don't let the culture around you lie to you. Our hearts are very untrustworthy and deceitful even. They'll lie to you about what is good for you. In fact, I would say that they're sin-sick and broken. And we as image bearers have followed our hearts. We broke our relationship with our Father. We desired the things we wanted more than God. And Jesus came to restore that relationship. And one of the ways he did that was with his own prayer life. Jesus, who was fully man, lived a life bathed, bathed, bathed in prayer. It's everywhere. Um, when I say this, though, I don't want you to think that, like, Jesus just checked, like, the religious box for you. Like, we need to pray three times a day. Jesus did that. You're good to go. What I'm saying is, is that Jesus lived a life in constant connection with the Heavenly Father for you. He reestablished the line of communication between God and man that had been broken in the fall. Over and over, we see that Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. Jesus prayed all night. Jesus got up early to pray. Jesus prayed for you in John 17, if you're a follower of Christ. He prayed for your daily bread. 
your daily bread? Is there a day that goes by that you don't need God? That you don't need to cry out to God? That you don't need to pour out your heart to him in joy or sorrow or just to talk? He is your father. And he's better than any earthly father imaginable. He never gets tired of the sound of your voice. And you can pour it all out. You can even yell at him. This is something that has taken me... I didn't learn this until in the last five, six years. Um, I was in counseling with my counselor's name's Theron, and um, I was kind of struggling with the concept of being upset at God and letting him know that. I was like, I don't think you can do that, you know? Like, he can just, like, toast you, right, you know? Um, and Theron was like, well, yeah, you, I hear you, but he asked me a question. He said, if your children are upset at you, would you rather them run away from home or have an argument in the kitchen with you? And I was like, let me stop you right there. My kids are never mad at me. Um, ever, guys. They think I'm great. I'm just kidding. My kids are, there's always at least one of them mad at me. A few years ago, John, uh, my oldest, made a very Calvin and Hobbes poster of how I was polling with the children in the Walker home. And... Uh, how I was probably not going to win the upcoming election. Uh, and I was like, surprise, it's a dictatorship. Um, so I said, obviously, I'd rather have the argument in the kitchen, in our home, child to father. Will we say things potentially that we don't mean? Yes. You can repent, pray, forgive, and hug one another. But your father in heaven is even better. Your earthly father is a shadow of your heavenly father. God longs for you to come back to him and he made a way for that. So whatever is stopping you, whenever I have conversations of prayer, about prayer, including with myself, there's always like something. You know, it's been too long. It's kind of like that unreturned phone call. I don't know how to or what to say. You won't accept me. I'm ashamed for what I've done and thought. Am I good enough? Um, I don't know if I even believe anymore. Whatever the barrier is, whether it be unbelief, anger, hurt, sadness, confusion, take that thing to God. Take the unbelief, take the anger, take anxiety to God. He can take it. He can receive it because he's a strong heavenly father. He can take it in ways that your earthly father can't. Um, he can take it and he can transform it by transforming you as you spend time with him. You cannot spend time consistently with your Heavenly Father without walking away unchanged. He's your Father and He loves you. Make space to spend regular time with Him. Point three, bread. This was actually like the hardest point because there's just so much in the Bible about the word bread. Uh, it also hit home the most because um, I've realized over the years my definition of bread has changed. Um, most of you know my background. I mention it all the time. One of the reasons why is like the older you get, you like reflect on life. And it's also kind of a trip to me looking at where I was and then I'm like up here. What, like what happened in the in-between? It's, it's just wild. Um, I spent much of my life very poor in an unstable home, uh, followed by no home for quite a while. And at that time, I remember praying very, very like daily bread prayers. I literally used to make like a list of being like, I need a new toothbrush. Um, I need uh, a razor to shave so I can find the golf ball. 
Um, I need a new pair of pants was one I remember praying. I was like, my pants are like pretty raggedy. I need some pants. Um, all my possessions once fit in a black trash bag. Um, my mindset and my faith were kind of like through the roof. I was like, God has it, you know? Um, when you ask God for something small and immediate like that, like if you ask God for a toothbrush and by the end of the day you have a toothbrush, you're like, what happened, you know? Uh, and the weird stories that go with each one of those things is wild, you know? Um, but life is also super unstable when, when you're living that life, you know? It's not like exactly suitable for marriage and having children. I don't want to raise my kids the way I was raised. But in the middle there, something happened to me. Uh, something good in many ways, and, and thinking through this like made it bubble up. Um, I realized the things that I asked for before were very simple, immediate, and childlike. And I was like, I know God has this. Um, but now my mind is like, instead of a house, like instead of a roof over my head, I kind of want to own a house, you know? Um, I want to save for retirement. I want to think about tomorrow a little bit. I want to have a plan for getting old. I want to give more generously. I want to be able to like help my kids if they ask me for financial help someday. Those are all fine things. I'm not saying anything that's wrong. But I am realizing for myself that like the socioeconomic change comes with like this interesting new set of temptations that I haven't experienced before. Um, earlier I said that homelessness had stripped away the facade of self-determination over my circumstances. Um, and while all those things I just listed are fine, it's fine to want to own a home, it's not wrong at all. Um, if I'm not careful, I'm like, you like start putting bricks back up. You start like building this fake thing where you think you have it all under control. You know, like you think you can determine how your kids turn out. Totally not true. You know, you think that you have some role in it for sure, just like you have some role in working a job to provide for your family. But you can't for sure know that you'll have that job next year. You have no idea. You have no idea what the economy is going to do or any of these things. And it's a total facade. And it's a tempting thing to believe in because it's so pretty. Like, of course it is. It's nice to own things and to know what your future will hold. Um, but it does strip away something from you. And I think it strips away like a childlikeness, a trusting of God. Uh, I don't know what the answer is to all that. Um, maybe in a year I will. All I know is that uh, if I start believing that it's on me to make these things happen, instead of bringing them to my father, I'm deceived. I know I am. Um, it's so easy to believe that you don't need God. So when I begin to think about bread in the Bible... My mind went to a few places. And here's just a list. It's, it's not exhaustive. The Bible has a lot to say about it, okay? The first one I thought of was the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years in the Exodus. An entire generation. And how God provided manna, bread from heaven, to them. They could not gather or store any of it. They were forced to rely on daily bread as a direct consequence of their lack of faith, but also to cultivate a generation of people dependent on God. So you have God providing bread while they're in the wilderness, right? I thought about Jesus and his temptation after fasting for 40 days and nights in the wilderness. The, the devil tells him, if you really are the son of God, just turn these stones into bread. And Jesus replied, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
I thought about John chapter 6, where Jesus feeds the 5,000, multiplying the bread and the fish, and then he walks on water, and then he's asked some questions, and he begins to teach on bread. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I don't think there's like an honest way to tie up all this in like this pretty bow, you know, this thing where it's like, oh, you asked God for things, good things, and you didn't get them. But here's the easy answer. I will say this, though. The space between where you are right now with your desires um, and what you want even the really good things that you desire. And the time when you receive them is critical and not to be wasted. In the same way when we're raising our children, we know that delayed gratification is good for them. It's good for you. And it's a form of wilderness that you're in. The wilderness is, in Scripture is a place of trial and temptation and pruning. And God is allowing you to remain in the wilderness for a time as you ask for your version of daily bread, whatever that is because he loves you and because he's determined to conform you to the image of his son. And what I mean by that is God is preparing you for eternity. Um, God is growing you into who he intended you to be. And the wilderness is part of that. Lack is part of that. He is stripping away from you as you let him all the sin that deceives you into thinking that you don't need him. But the good news, although that is good news, is God never leaves his people alone in the wilderness. Ever. God was with the Israelites in the wilderness, a cloud by day and a fire by night, guiding them, providing for them, and delivering them. And Christ entered the wilderness on your behalf to experience temptation and overcome temptation for you. Christ is no stranger to the wilderness. He is no stranger to suffering, and he is with you in your wilderness. And I'll close this way. There's some way to see this in Scripture, too, to prove this in a way. One of the main ways, the final way that I thought about bread was in Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus did not stay away from your wilderness sufferings. He laid down his life as that lamb just mentioned in the scriptures. He allowed his body to be broken for you. He exchanged his life for your life. When I first read, man does not live by bread alone, years ago I was like, yeah, but he does need to eat, right? You know, right, Jesus? Um, and then it struck me. Jesus' uh, definition of life is different than mine in this passage. Life is wholeness, right? It's peace. It's knowing God and being known. It's walking with God in the garden again, unashamed. So, brothers and sisters, I don't know, actually, if you will receive what you're asking for in this life. I have no idea. Uh, I do know that Christ is with you even in the unanswered prayer. Christ prayed uh, prayers that were not answered. He didn't receive yeses all the time. Um, when he was in the garden, he prayed that the cup of God's wrath and judgment would pass. And it didn't. And he, he says that what he says in the prayer is, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. 
yet not my will, but yours be done. And if you think about it, it's like, that's the Lord's prayer. Father, please do this thing, but I want your will. And not long after that, he was crucified for our sins to make a way back to God for us. So brothers and sisters, I would say your longings for intimacy, knowing and being known, provision, a family, safety, wholeness, what the Bible calls shalom, peace. These are all things you will ultimately experience in eternity because Christ made a way through his life, death, and resurrection. Because he became the bread of life that we may eat and truly live. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.